You're listening to an extra shot episode on the Project Zion podcast, a shorter episode that lets you get your Project Zion fix in between our full-length episodes. It might be shorter time-wise, but hopefully not in content. So regardless of the temperature at which you prefer your caffeine, sit back and enjoy this extra shot. There's a story, it's kind of a parable of sorts, teach people to question tradition a little bit. A woman that goes and asks her husband to buy a ham, he, when they come home, she cuts off the ends of the ham, and they cook it, and he asks, well, why did you cut off the ends of the ham? Does it help it cook better? And then she thinks about it, and she's like, I don't know. I've always just seen my mom cut off the ends of the ham. So when they're all together, she asks her mom, so, I've seen you always cut off the ends of the ham. Why did you cut off the ends of the ham? How does that help cook the ham? And she thinks about it too, and she's like, well, I don't know. I've seen my mom cook the ham too. So, when they're all back and they're asking this first woman's grandma why she cut off the ends of the ham, she's like, well, that's just because my pan was too short. I had to cut it off for it to fit into the pan. That uh, story illustrates why we should sometimes just think and take a pause of why we do the things that we do. Sometimes tradition is good and sometimes it doesn't serve any purpose at all. It's lost its original intended meaning. There's a scripture verse I'm going to read and I know it's problematic to some and when this verse was written it was interpreted as an exclusionary text. We don't see it that way anymore. We don't see ourselves as exclusively the only true and living church on the face of the earth, which God blesses us this way. But just know that, just going into it, I realize it's problematic. Early in the Restoration Movement, Joseph Smith and a small group of people saw themselves as a once again living church. Joseph dictated Doctrine and Covenants section 1. In verse 30 it says, And also those to whom these commandments were given might have power to lay the foundation of this church and to bring it forth out of obscurity and out of darkness, the only true and living church upon the face of the whole earth, with which I, the Lord, am well pleased, speaking unto the church collectively and not individually. What I think Joseph and others early on saw the restoration as was that it was the only truly living Christian religion because in their restoration beliefs they dared re-enter the divine narrative like those of old. They witnessed spiritual gifts coming back that they felt had been lost from the earth, and they believed that God, like in biblical times, was speaking anew through an ongoing dialogue of revelation. They were living in a time when Scripture was being written. In fact, to take it one step further, I looked it up to see what that lone verse might be responding to, and I found multiple scripture verses, Jeremiah 10, 1 Thessalonians, the Book of Mormon, and the Doctrine and Covenants that speak of God as the one true and living God. They, the church, by their estimation, was truly living because they were in a collaborative and covenantal relationship with their truly living God. As does most traditions through time, naturally the adherents are overly prone to get comfortable with the way they do things. So things don't evolve fast enough to meet the needs of the up-and-coming generations amidst a changing culture. A once vibrant faith starts to wither in its vitality. 
So one of the great struggles with all religions is how do we make this vibrant and meaningful to younger generations? What do we do to provide experiences that renew us so that we can honestly say we as a church are truly living? What we need to do to keep us anchored in new revelation with our true and living God? How do we enter the divine narrative? In the context of the human continuum of progress, it seems to me that when we ossify ourselves to a literal interpretation of scripture or a verbatim approach to ritual, we are actually moving backwards instead of forwards as the greater society around us is learning new truths and gaining new awareness. If we are so stuck with how things have always been interpreted, it can trap us in its time, becoming a stumbling block, not allowing us to live in the present. If we can't address our modern concerns and what the Spirit is nudging us toward because Scripture has become an insurmountable hurdle, what do we do? At that rate, Scripture, ritual, or tradition would become calcifying instead of edifying. And I mean our faith in that regard would move us backwards because if we try to repeat everything in Scripture, we wouldn't be responding to our contemporary culture, whereas the content of Scripture was contemporary to the culture of those who wrote them. That leads me to ask, what do we have faith in? Do we have faith in the process or the product? I'm projecting that it needs to be faith in the process of a collaborative, ongoing dialogue with God and our community to grant us further insight. In more recent times, Grant McMurray shared a text in the Community of Christ that later became canonized as Doctrine and Covenants section 162. In verse 2e it says, Again, you are reminded that this community was divinely called into being. The spirit of the restoration is not locked in one moment of time, but it is instead the call to every generation to witness to essential truths in its own language and form. Let the spirit breathe. The text today is about the woman at the well. A lot of you know this text really well. So it goes that, Back in that day, a lot of the Jews went out of their way to avoid the Samaritans, so they'd walk all the way around Samaria. But Jesus decided to walk directly through it. There was an ongoing struggle of where should the right place of worship be. Was it Mount Gerizim, or was it uh, the temple at Jerusalem? And so that's kind of the context of Jesus coming in, and people went out of their way to not talk to him at all, let alone even be around him. Jesus, he's asking to drink from Jacob's well, so he's entering into the tradition, drinking from Jacob's well, but the way he goes about it is anything but traditional. He doesn't bring his own bucket, and he asks for her bucket, and he's talking to her. She's not collecting water at the right time. Everything about the way he's doing it is not traditional. And as they're talking, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. That's this gospel interjecting. Of of course the Jews have it right. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. When I was thinking about this and how Jesus dared to enter into part of the tradition of drinking from Jacob's well, a little bit of context, there's no mention of Jacob's well in the Old Testament. 
But this became a place that people tried to figure out where it must have been, and then the well that's there has become one location where a bunch of churches throughout the last few millennia have been built upon it. It's become a place that is stagnant and not moving. It's just part of the tradition, and it's there. He drinks from this well, and he tells her that anybody that drinks from that well will be thirsty again. When I was thinking about well narratives in the Old Testament, the times that men are meeting women at the well is usually when they're finding a spouse. That's not the case with this instance. This woman happens to not be one that Jesus is marrying, but she happens to be, if you're just reading the Gospel of John alone, she happens to be the first person to realize Jesus is the Messiah. She happens to be the first apostle first evangelist, so to speak, because she's the first one to go out and tell everybody back in town, come and see, could this be the Messiah? And many believe her on her word and come back and hear for themselves. But other well motifs in the Old Testament is the well of Miriam. So Miriam, if you all remember, is the older sister of Moses. She's the one that saves Moses in the River Nile because there was a decree to kill all the firstborn male children. And you see this this image repeated in the Gospel of Matthew when Mary saves her son Jesus by fleeing back to Egypt so King Herod can't kill Jesus. An interesting thing, though, is the gospel writers, they were all speaking Greek. They wrote in Greek. They thought in Greek. Miriam, her name in Greek is Mary. So when they were reading the Greek Septuagint, and any time they're reading about Miriam, they were reading about Mary. So that's why you see the direct parallels between Miriam and the mother of Jesus, Mary. Miriam was a prophetess. She taught the Torah to the people just as did Moses and her other brother Aaron. But about the well of Miriam, it's kind of an interesting thing for the motifs of going to a well. Uh, This is from Wikipedia. In Miriam's merit, a wondrous well of water miraculously accompanied the Jews during their wanderings to provide for them in the wilderness. This well is called the well of Miriam. The Talmud teaches three great leaders led Israel, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. In their merit, they received three great gifts, the well, Miriam, the clouds of glory, Aaron, and the manna, Moses. When Miriam died, the well was removed, as is evidenced by the fact that immediately after the verse, and Miriam died, the Torah states, the people had no water. This is thus the significance in the verse following Miriam's death of Moses searching for and eventually striking the rock in order to restore its waters, which had terminated with Miriam's death. Rashi also explains that this well was the same rock from which Moses brought forth water after Miriam's death, but adds that it was round as a sieve, so it could miraculously roll along with the Jews on their journeys through the desert. The Midrash states that when they encamped, the leaders of each tribe took his staff to the well, and drew a line in the sand towards his camp's encampment. 
The waters of the well were drawn after the mark and thus supplied water for each of the tribes. In this way, Miriam was a source of substance for all of Israel. So you have the well of Jacob, which if you drink, you will thirst again. It's a stagnant physical place that does not move. But Jesus coming from Mary is living water. In that, just like the well of Miriam, Jesus, spirit of truth, accompanies you wherever you're at on your journey. You don't have to go to a physical place. No no matter where you go, God is always accompanying you. In verses 12, 13, and part of 14, Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. In this way, just to move along right from the sermon that we had last week where he's talking to Nicodemus, this is an ongoing theme for John. The wind blows where it chooses and where you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit or anyone that drinks from the well of Miriam or living water from Christ. From Doctrine and Covenants 161, 1A and B. Lift up your eyes and fix them on the place beyond the horizon to which you are sent. Journey and trust assured that the great and marvelous work is for this time and for all time. Claim your unique and sacred place with the circle of those who call upon the name of Jesus Christ. Be faithful to the spirit of the restoration, mindful that it is a spirit of adventure, openness, and searching. Walk proudly and with a quickened step, and be a joyful people. Laugh and play and sing, embodying the hope and freedom of the gospel. Today, we get to witness a unique experience in Community of Christ, one of our eight sacraments, and that's the sacrament of confirmation. If you'll read along with me as I have it up there. Following baptism, those who wish to express their discipleship as members of Community of Christ do so through the sacrament of confirmation. Confirmation follows intentional preparation, including exploration of the church's mission, beliefs, and understanding of discipleship. Expressed through covenant with God and others in sacred community, the sacrament of confirmation recognizes the work of the Holy Spirit in the disciple's life. The prayers offered witness to the Holy Spirit's ministry, weaving people's giftedness into beautiful patterns of community to enrich their discipleship and to strengthen the fabric of the church. Confirmation is available to those previously baptized of water, whether performed by Community of Christ ministers or other Christian ministers. Today, Megan is being confirmed, and we are just so delighted and happy that you've been a part of our congregation. I can't really speak for you, but for myself, I never had imagined that the Spirit would have led me here, but it did. And just like the Spirit blows and you don't know where it's coming from or where it goes, and we might feel like we're kind of wandering in a wilderness at times, we're just so happy that you've been faithful to that Spirit. And this confirmation for those that don't know is not to gift you anything that you haven't already had. It's in honor of what you've had and to honor you as a part of our community. From DNC 161.7, the spirit of the one you follow is the spirit of love and peace. 
That spirit seeks to abide in the hearts of those who would embrace its call and live its message. The path will not always be easy. The choices will not always be clear. But the cause is sure and the spirit will bear witness to the truth. And those who live the truth will know the hope and joy of discipleship in the community of Christ. Amen. The views expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official views of the Latter-day Seekers team or of Community of Christ. The music has been provided by Ben Howington. You can find his music at mormonguitar.com.